G Flick saw Ant Man in the Wild Town, Norfolk, Virginia, some old little pitiful little sad theater, but the tickets were only $4.50, so I ain't complaining. I had a good time considering I was spent $4.50. Anyway, I'm talking on over here and passing on over to my good friend Gary because he got the real scoop on everything and he know how to speak perfect English. So I bid you farewell, folks. Goodbye. Ant-Man and his old lady, the Wasp. Kind of an interesting relationship considering Wasp eat ants. Ants eat Wasp. They have a freaking frack relationship, so I guess it does make sense. Comic book rundown. Ant-Man first appeared in September 1962 in the series Tales to Astonish, Volume 1, Issue 35, Return of the Ant-Man. Janet Van Dyne's The Wasp first appears in Volume 1, Issue number 44, The Creature from Cosmos. Tales to Astonish served as a show-off-your-work kind of piece for the OGs that were young G's at the time. Jack Kirby, Steve Ditke, Dick Ayers, Don Heck, and Paul Riemann. Oh, 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 and Larry Lieber. Oh, 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 and Stan Lee, of course. Ant-Man came from the Man in the Ant Heel storyline from Tales to Astonish. The series was plotted by Stan Lee, scripted by Lieber, and penciled first by Kirby and later by Heck and some other old heads. The Wasp and Ant-Man's other aliases, which include the Giant Man, were introduced a year later in separate volumes. Hank Pym's Giant Man first appeared in Volume 1, Issue number 49, The Birth of Giant Man. Yeah, super creative, I know. Something interesting happens when Tales to Astonish reached Volume 1, Issue 49, The Incredible Hulk is introduced as the antagonist to Giant Man. And by the next volume, it featured two storylines, one for the Hulk and the other for Ant-Man. And by issue 70, Hank Pym and Janet Van Dyne were no longer featured. The tales more so focused on the Hulk and other superheroes. Heroes. Heroes, you know what I mean. Now, as far as the Wasp is concerned, tales of the Wasp followed the superhero in around. Uh, they were scripted and penciled by Lieber. Now I could go on and 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 on till the cows come home with this, but that'd be boring. So Ant-Man and the Wasp. Released on July 6th, 2018. It is the sequel to Ant-Man, which came out in 2015. I thoroughly enjoyed Ant-Man, the first one. Under the third eye of Kevin Feige, who is the overseer of Marvel Studios, he knew what it would take to introduce lesser popular Avengers. If the story is compelling enough, funny enough, Everyone will eat it up. I also thought it was smart to introduce the less popular heroes midway through the solidly built MCU. Still though, the villains are trash. I remember Hornet from Ant-Man. That villain makes all the sense in the world, but in the sequel, not so much. Marvel seems to have a hard time with its sequels when it comes to villains. Thanos and Loki are the only standouts. The rest are disposable. So it'll be interesting to see who will pick up the reins after Thanos is ousted. They have plenty of villains that are stronger than Thanos and more compelling than Thanos, which they need to start building on now if they want to keep these things going until the year 21 fucking 100. 
So let's get into the sequel. Ant-Man the sequel. It is Marvel's 20th film. Insane how we've gotten this far. It grossed over 353 million worldwide. It was filmed at Pinewood Atlanta Studios in Georgia and parts of Atlanta. The code name for the sequel was Cherry Blue. You get a code name for your films when you don't want people to know about them. It scored an 87% on Rotten Tomatoes, 70% on Metacritic, and 7.5 out of 10 on IMDb. Michael Douglas, interesting tidbit. Michael Douglas wanted Catherine Zeta-Jones, his bae, to portray Hank Pym's wife, Janet Van Dyne. Thank God it didn't go to her. I'm glad Michelle Pfeiffer got it. I think she fits the role perfectly as the original Wasp. It was directed by Peyton Reed, who, <laughs> side note, directed the first Bring It On. Go Taurus! Go Taurus! Go! Go! Go Taurus! It was written by five goddamn people, including Z-Star, Paul Rudd. I went to see this with my dad, and we were down in Norfolk for a wedding. Now, my dad and I used to go to the movies every single weekend when I was a kid. He doesn't go to the movies much anymore, but I can still gauge how entertaining a film is based on his interest in the film. And he fell asleep a few times, so I think he'd give it a C, which means I'll give it a B, because I didn't fall asleep at all. There were some parts I was like, eh, I could have did without, eh, kind of boring. But it wasn't memorable. It was a disposable film. It didn't really fit in with the rest of the, the, the world. It only really fit in at the end when they did the cutscene. It was just another piece to the puzzle. A small piece to the puzzle. Evangeline Lilly was fantastic as usual. Interesting enough, she doesn't have an extensive list of credits. She's a straight up working actor. Lost took up a majority of her early career. That shit had us confused from 2004 to 2010. Her biggest film came three years later when she played Toriel in The Hobbit and then she got Ant-Man. So I'm curious to see where she goes after the Avengers. Paul Rudd was Paul Rudd as usual. Michael Douglas was more hilarious in this one. There were less Ant-Man powers so we didn't see a lot of ants. We saw big ants but we didn't really see too many Ant-Man-isms I would say. It was more so focused on Hope Van Dyne and her father's storyline because they were trying to get the wasp back. They're trying to get the wasp out of the quantum realm. The villain was meh. She had uncontrollable quantum energy. Her name was Ghost, A the Star, played by Hannah John Kamen. Ghost is the daughter of Hank's former partner at S.H.I.E.L.D., Egghead, or Elias Star. After seeing badass villains like Thanos, Killmonger, and eh, give or take, Killmonger really wasn't that much of a villain to me. Hela and Vulture, Ghost pales in comparison to all of them. I mean, the other pseudo-villain was Sony Burke, but he was pointless. He was just a weapons dealer. I didn't understand why he was there. He didn't really need to be there. After four emotionally exhausting Marvel films, it was smart to use this film as comedic relief. Janet Van Dyne had this beautiful reverence about her. It felt as if she was an original Avenger. I got a sense that there was an Avengers around prior to Tony Stark's Iron Man, and I think Captain Marvel will further reveal that, hopefully. It is also possible that the Quantum Realm is unaffected by the snap, according to the first post credit scene. Second scene didn't really matter to me. I didn't really stay behind for it. I heard there's just a big ant somewhere doing some crazy shit. Final thoughts? It's fun and worth the money, but it doesn't add much to the MCU, but it's the end of phase three. Next up is Captain Marvel, which is already wrapped principal photography and is in post-production. Cannot wait for that one. Marvel will have its first female lead and it'll probably be successful considering Wonder Woman was successful. I figured that Marvel was kind of eyeing the DCU universe to see if Wonder Woman would be successful. And since it was, Hey, let's throw Captain Marvel out there. Captain Marvel is way, 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 way too important to not include 
in this series. And she's going to kick Thanos' ass. That's all I've got to say. And Garrett Turner's out of here. G-Flick out of here. I hope to see you some other time. I'll be back tomorrow. Or the day after that. My country accent is starting to sound like shit. Actually, I sound like a redneck hillbilly. But that's neither here nor there. I love y'all. Bye.